You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken, and we are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. I am very excited today because we are talking with Steve Biederman, who is the CEO of Noble Biz and the author of Lessons I've Learned in No Particular Order, as well as he's a fiction writer, and he's on his fifth novel and it is a corporate thriller all of them are and he teaches some pretty good business lessons in those corporate thrillers as well but hey in a moment we'll get to that first a few announcements if you have a story about amazing customer service and you'd like to share it please just reach out to me on any of the social media channels i'm everywhere twitter facebook instagram linkedin and more and if you have a question you want me to answer and i'll answer them either in those media or i may answer it uh, on this show or my TV show. And by the way, use the hashtag, Ask Shep. Ask Shep. Hash. It's great. It's easy. TV show. If you've been here, you know what it is. It's called Amazing, uh, Be Amazing or Go Home. And it can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, all of those types of channels. And you can go to beamazing.tv to watch some of the episodes. All right, let's jump into the interview. I'm excited because Steve is the CEO of Noble Biz, which is a contact center technology company. And we're going to talk a little bit about contact centers, but more than anything, we're going to talk about successful ideas in business in the area of customer service and experience. Steve's personal creed. And I love this, which is what's extremely intriguing about this show is make a promise, keep a promise. And that doesn't just apply to your business life. And I can see he's shaking his head. Yes, because I can see him on video. It also applies to your personal life as well. Steve, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Shep, really nice to be here. Look forward to talking about it. And, um, you know, thanks for asking me. This is a, a really good opportunity to talk about making a promise and keeping a promise. Good intentions, but what do you do and how do you how do you accomplish it? Well, let's start there. You know, okay. it's your personal brand. And, and I believe I think that's a pretty strong statement for any company or any person to make. Well, you know, I uh, Hopefully someday we'll look back over the centuries and say it's everyone's creed. It certainly is everyone's um, good intent, I think, to to make a promise and keep a promise. And 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 we look for that in people, don't we? You know, we we believe that uh, you know that if somebody says something, that that's what they're going to do. But you know, over the years in business, and listen, I'm not a young guy. I'm 68, and I've had uh, decades of of working and servicing clients of, of all types, whether it be uh, more commodity-driven, technology-driven. Uh, and by the way, Noble Biz is both a carrier in the contact center space and a, a technology manufacturing provider. But whatever it is, it, business really comes down to the most simple idea, which is, look, I, I said I was going to do this for you. You asked for that. I agreed I would do it. And so let me do that. For you and Boom. with That's a little it. extra value. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? I, I talk about how to create customer amazement. And one of the end result is that there's this consistent and predictable experience where the word always is in a sentence. They always do what they say they're going to do. That's right. predictability. They're always fast to get back to me. They always respond to my email. And I think as soon as you make a promise and keep a promise, um, I think if, if it's consistent and predictable, they be, that's what people say. I love doing business. They always do what they say they'll do. How exactly. hard is that? Well, you know, it must be hard, though, because, 
when I was like uh, a rhetorical question that deserves well, a huge answer. Right. Well, when I started building my own businesses in the uh, uh, mid nineties, uh, I, I entered actually into the contact center space and, and developing call center. We call them dialers in those days, uh, predictive dialing. And uh, they were really the heartstone, uh, as they even are today, in terms of somebody's business. So in other words, we could not be sure that we could help somebody be successful, but we darn well could be sure we would kill them if we failed. So we were really driven by, by this idea. But people, nonetheless, were really buying uh, feature sets. You know, I have this feature set and the other company may or may not have that or it doesn't work as well. And I, there were tens and tens of companies and I was the new guy on the block. And for the life of me, I could not figure out how to differentiate ourselves from everyone else. And uh, you know, it's like if they would just try me, they would see that what I say we're gonna do, we're really gonna do. And if we do what we say we're gonna do, they're really gonna be happy. And, you know, we heard stories from all over the industry about how companies sold them a lot and didn't do a lot or didn't support them. And I thought, well, you know, you know what the differentiating factor is? It, it's how we care. It, it, it's really what our core value is. And, and, and we said it this way, that a customer gives us a gift of trust when they choose us. And we return that trust with integrity and passion, relentless effort. Uh, you know, good sound process. And that's all we can promise, but we're gonna darn well do it the right way every time. And here's what happened. We went from a small company to actually one of the world leading companies with six global offices and thousands of contact centers using us. And the only thing even today I can see that separated us was our embrace of the client experience. And Today, it still works out well, but it's it's really a shame. And I'll end by saying this, that when client experience is not the differentiating factor, then we'll know that the world is really make a promise, keep a promise. Because until then, when I can separate myself just from doing what I say I'm going to do, shame on the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a couple of things that are standing out. And I know you said to put it into it, we're not ending it right now. I got to yeah. follow up with this and get your comment. Sure. Number one, there is an expectation that whatever you sell them, whatever the product is, and this is for any business in any industry, B2B, retail, doesn't matter. It's got to do what it's supposed to do. It's got to work. I buy a vacuum cleaner. If it doesn't work, I'm taking it back. If I buy a second one, or if I get a second one, and they give me, and it still doesn't work. I'm switching brands. Okay. So we expect the vacuum cleaner to work. However, if I go in and I'm not treated well, I'm going to leave the next time I need to buy whatever it is that they're selling me, even if it works. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And listen, we can't ever promise perfection, but we can promise we're going to give it everything we have and yeah. give the attention that 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 promise makes. But, you know, I, I really believe that in the last, uh, I don't know, I, I started to see it in the 80s and there was a great push towards, uh, you know, towards measure. You don't know what you don't measure. And then when you measure, implement what you're seeing, you're measuring. And it was a drive with Six Sigma. And uh, I, I trained a course 
for our executives called TQA, the quality advantage. And these were all driven to meet that client experience, whatever it may be. But uh, there was a period after that where it became almost passe and people, many companies were looking for growth, not necessarily niche, but growth, or even niche, but growth within that niche. And they started to make a trade and they would give price. They would give other commodity. They would give other things that they place value on uh, aside from that client experience. And society began to change, in my opinion, into one that over uh, some years turned into uh, allowing and giving an implied consent for companies to, to get, return mediocrity. And I'll give Ooh. you an example. Here's the example. You go to your uh, next door famous fast food restaurant and they get your order wrong. Two weeks from now, you need to eat. It's quick. It's cheap. You end up going right back to them. This time they get your order right, but they're very curt and short with you. Uh, nonetheless, a month later, you say to the kids, why don't you go to that place and get some hamburgers and french fries? And by allowing that to happen, by returning to do business again and again with these large, convenient companies that are, are putting themselves in front of you, you're setting a tone of value for the implication is it's okay it's okay to do less for me. I, I spend money, but it's okay to do less. And it's the, the truth is we should always, when we provide something to somebody, be looking to do more. Always do more, not less. All right. So I believe everything you've said is, is true. I, I live by what you've just said with this caveat. A $4 hamburger or $3 hamburger, I'm probably not going to be as connected to the overall experience as I would be if I'm going to a fine dining restaurant or I'm getting ready to buy a huge piece of manufacturing machinery. Okay. You know, right, it's going right. to cost me a lot of money. There's definitely a price there. However, with so much competition that's out there, can you afford as a business, any type of business, let's use your hamburger example yeah. or lunch example at the famous quick serve fast food restaurant. Can I afford to over and over again, be rude to somebody or miss the order? And the answer to that is no. And one of the reasons, yeah. you know, and I'm not gonna say their name, but their initials are Chick-fil-A. One of the reasons Chick-fil-A is so successful is because they do such a good job of consistently delivering a product that works, okay? Delicious chicken sandwiches, those waffle fries, their lemonade, drinks, whatever it is that you order, consistently the product is what it's supposed to be. And if you've if you, and I know it, it's not perfect. No company is ever perfect, but I would say they're as close to perfect as can be with the experience of uh, when somebody, and this is such a semantical little thing. I, when you say thank you to somebody and they go, no problem, that doesn't bother me, but some people go, what do you mean? No problem. And I know they're getting up on it. And it's just like, yeah, right. well, is it hard? No, they always say it's my pleasure. And granted, it's semantics, it's difference. And it doesn't bother me whether somebody says, oh, no problem at all, or it's my pleasure. I think they're trying to say the same thing, although some people really you know, get upset about it. However, that whole my pleasure thing is because good, good training. That's what yes. they tell them to say. And they tell them why it's important, not just to say it. And it works. Well, you know, you, you can't provide that uh, creditable, repeatable, sustainable experience unless you build sound process, 
around it and yes. training around it and uh, and follow up and audit around it. And by the way, that particular restaurant, what stands out to me, although yeah, their food, uh, what really stands out to me is how kind and generous they are when you talk to them and yes. when you drive you know, to the window or in our case, they come up to the car. So it's, it's really that now, isn't it? You know, many people, I would say most companies say they have good customer service. They say, I'll prove it by my tickets, by my surveys, by, by the way I believe we're doing by our re recurring or returning revenue. But the truth is there are specific definable pieces and you just named it with, with the fast food restaurant and that is behavior, right? It's, it's how the heck can I let you chef feel that I'm focused on you chef instead of chef while I'm doing something else. And yeah. it, it, it's simple, but it's not easy because although you're right, fast food is not uh, high tech per se, or, you know, contact center technology in a sense, when you build trans a transactional environment, our society is transactional and the undercurrent of most of those transactions is one of willingness to tolerate less, then it anchors you into, into wrong thinking, if you ask me. Yep. I love it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how customers' habits are changing in the age of social media. And I want to, I think we've put a bow on this conversation thus far, as far as making the promise, keeping the promise. There still may be a little bit more. So everybody, don't go away. We're talking with Steve Biederman, who is the CEO of Noble Biz and also the author of Lessons I've Learned in, a, in No Particular Order. Love it. Can't wait to read more about it. Don't go away, we're coming right back. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert, and I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll Be Back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. The book ships out in September, but purchase it today and you'll get instant access to the ebook at no extra charge. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Steve Biederman. Lessons I've learned in no particular order. And we're learning some lessons today. Uh, make a promise, keep a promise. And I think today um, it's, you know, trust is really what it's about. And that's what we've really been talking about. My friend, Dave Horsager, who's with the, I believe it's the Trust Institute or Trust Edge Institute. Um, he's written a couple of books and he said, he thinks trust is your most important asset in a company. And I think it, it, it may be one of the most important. Uh, obviously that's how he makes his living. What else is he going to say? Right. 
No, but, but seriously, it's true. And I think that's what we're talking about here. All things being equal, give a good product, give decent service, and make sure they can trust you. You know what's going to happen. Because you said that was what your big differentiator was in the beginning. And add value. And add uh, value. Trust does add value. Yeah. Gives you know, it's mind. an interesting thing, trust. Uh, I, I, I see trust as the outcome of, of doing the next right thing and doing it often enough and, and sustainably that people believe it. And, that, and once they believe it, they trust it will happen again. Yep. The predictable experience over yeah. and over again. Again, that word always followed by something good. Let's jump to social media. What a difference this world is thanks to social media, which uh, really, what is it, about 19, what, 93 when we really started getting into websites? And it might even been a little bit sooner than that. Yeah, it was about that time. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, and I'm, I'm not here to, to, to just push our products, but uh, being a developer of omni-channel connectivity for, uh, in our case, contact centers, uh, it gives us uh, kind of an overview of the various ways people communicate. And uh, really, in many ways, it's not predictable yet. So it isn't simply generational. It isn't sim simply type of business or personality, uh, probably personality related, but uh, you, what, you, what I see needs to happen is people need to, to get in touch with how the people they want to communicate with back and forth care to do it. Do they want to do it through email, Facebook, WhatsApp, video, SMS, you know, I'll go on and on and on. But it's, it's really, how can I give you, Shep? Uh, so if you said to me, Steve, I'd love to interview for the show, it, it's up to to me then to say what makes Shep more most comfortable while at the same time Shep if you're saying what makes Steve most comfortable and then find that that way to do it and and I think just simply through that uh now you see value in 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 the social network right so that omni-channel experience for those that are listening going what's omni-channel it is all the different channels that you can communicate with the company on so whether you're reaching out to them by phone, uh, by text message, email, all those that you mentioned. But also, I'll go a step further. That in itself is multi-channel, multiple channels of communication. Omni-channel is when you can jump from one channel to the next and the conversation is just being picked up. So I may be uh, on, on a web, filling out a form, struggling. So I go on chat. Now I'm dealing with the artificial intelligent chat bot that's trying to give me answers but I'm struggling and next thing I know, a human being is stepping in and continuing the conversation rather than having me start over, maybe even suggesting I call the phone number that they have. And when I do finally talk to them, they go, hey, I see you've been on our website trying to fill out a form. It's like, how do they know that? Well, that's the true omni-channel experience. It's like it's no channel at all. It's, it's called same channel, any channel, whatever you wanna call it. Yeah, whatever you want. And then all of that information gathered from both sides is all together in one place. So it's reportable, it's uh, auditable, it, you know, it, it gives everybody comfort because no matter how the five ways you and I communicated in the last hour, uh, it's all in the same place at the same yeah. time. 
So how do you let's let's actually go to true social media. Do you see people uh, in, in the context or world, which is what you're in? Mm -hmm. So you're willing to say, hey, our software and what we suggest is that you pay attention to social channels like Twitter, Facebook or any of the others, LinkedIn, because people are out there saying not just making comments about your company, but asking for help about the products that you sell. How important is it for companies to have a presence and be monitoring that? And what's the best way to go about it? And I realize we only have a few minutes left. That's okay. a huge question, but give us what you got. Well, pay attention to your customer, you know, and it's back to the earlier part of the show, but pay attention to them and ask them where, what's the way that they can communicate that gives them the most comfort and sets them the most at ease with whatever the type is. And then, offer that to them in our case in any case with all of the companies that provide this not just noble biz it give your your side the company side that's making the call initiating or the communication the ability to to make the choice and just like you said switch and and choose but uh listen my daughter she prefers a specific way to communicate and uh, yeah, she'll do voice. She might leave voice messages, but I don't get emails back. I, you know, I need to communicate in her way. And, Which is texting? Well, yeah. And I can't, uh, and, and I have to tell you that I can't, I can't confuse how I feel about it. I shouldn't feel about it. Communication is just communication. Find the way that works. How lucky are we today that we have a world that allows us such a wide range of ability to, to connect with each other and that can be used uh, beneficially and even profitably. You know, how lucky are we to be alive today? Right. So I have to ask, how old is your daughter? Oh, she's 36. So 36. She's a Gen Xer. Yeah, right on that edge there. Right, almost uh, just to be, almost young enough to be a millennial. Yeah, right, right. Yep. Great. So that's an interesting group. Uh, we just did our study. We just got the results back for this year's study on all these different. Uh, part of it was channels of communication, and she's like they're right there in the middle. Where boomers love the phone, okay, yeah, and yeah. you go to the other side of it, which is Gen Z, and it's like, well, they don't love the phone nearly as much. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You remind me of that old commercial where on TV you would see the guy handing out plane tickets to all of his representatives saying, people don't see you anymore. Go out and actually talk to them. Yep. Uh, let's not forget that, too. You know, but and I, and I believe, by the way, even after this last year of Zoom calls and Microsoft Team calls and, you know, all the different formats that we have, I believe we're going to start seeing the differentiator is it's kind of like the the uh, I mean, you, you can send an email that says thank you or you can send a video to somebody that says thank you or you can send a handwritten note. And, you know, the video and the handwritten note are going to stand out. The, the others are going to be fine and appreciated, but yeah. we've got to go back to what makes us stand out. And I'm going to bet somebody showing up in person is going to make people stand out, even though we're getting so used to the Zoom call. A friend of mine, Michael Steinberg. Uh, well, because it's investment. 
Yeah, yeah. Michael Steinberg said to me, it's an investment. Yeah, yeah, and the old style, you know, the telephone is what we used to do. He says, you can't push a pencil through the telephone. No, you've got to actually go and see the customer if you want to get, do business with them. All right, we're down to the final moments here. And I always ask the final question, is there one last nugget you want to share with us? Something extra, something you want to reiterate? What would that final moment be? Well, I would say this, especially for business, get comfortable saying yes and get uncomfortable saying no. So don't reserve the right to say no, just say yes and then follow through. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, no is something that's important to understand how not to say, even if you mean no. There's other ways you can get around it offering right. alternatives, unless it's illegal and immoral. <laughs> Or it's something completely, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, we, we're a restaurant. We don't sell shoes. I'm sorry. But what we can do is help you find the shoe store closest to us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I love that. Oh, thanks so much, Steve Biederman. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. It's been a great interview and uh, love what we talked about. I know we can talk for hours, but thanks for being on the show. Chef, thanks for having me and to your audience. You all take care during the pandemic. Yes, please do. And everybody, that wraps up another week of Amazing Business Radio. Next week, we will have another interview, and I hope you come back for that. Until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.